Good evening and welcome yet again to an episode of the Departure Gate Podcast. We are here in front of St. Salva's Fountains this time because despite what everyone thinks, Nikki in real life doesn't drink. So we're here with the recently departed Nikki Graham, who for the second straight time in history repeated itself, Nikki, Colin Gwynn, you're undoing once again. Yes, screw Colin. He is a bastard and he is dead to me because I am a legend and he is trash. Well, harsh words for sure. But yeah, crazy how history repeats itself. Not only does Colin coming back and factoring into the vote end up being what puts you over the line to seal your fate here, but it again is in a standoff with Joaquin. But only be more prophetic if Joaquin went on to win this season once again as well. That would be pretty prophetic, but uh, last time I voted for him, he's going to have to do a lot of work to even get me to consider him this time. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll get all into that. So let's start with the basics. Obviously, you were eliminated. You finished 11th place, but I hope you're proud of your performance here. I know I'm sure you're disappointed because out of everybody in this game, you said it to me yourself pre-game, Nikki. You have been playing Euro Survivor All-Stars since you got voted out of Estonia, and I think that made you unique even among the 35 All-Stars here. You have been playing this game in your head basically since the minute you got voted out of Estonia. Is that true? That's very true. You know, ever since I got voted out, I maintained relationships with some people from season one. I had uh, target lists for other people. Um, some of those stayed true, some of those didn't. And then as I co-hosted, I didn't want to abuse my power as a co-host too much but I definitely wanted to build bonds and relationships with people across all the seasons. So that way, when the All-Stars began, I had a good baseline to build off of. I mean, that's more than fair. I mean, you're definitely not alone in that. But it is, like I just said, like in general, you know, you mentioned yourself that because you're playing as Nikki Graham, which uh, we'll, we'll switch back to the more lighthearted stuff. But obviously, very heavy things have happened. Obviously, the real Nikki Graham, your representative, passed away while playing the game. And I do want to ask, I mean, how, how surreal has that been? Because I've never had that experience in a game where I was playing, where the rep I was playing as literally died, you know, while we were quote unquote filming the show. And that is what happened here. And I think it's a completely unique situation. I've seen games where people have died either before the game began or long after, or even shortly after. I've never actually seen it happen while in the middle of quote-unquote filming, while the player who's representative person is still in the game, um, just wow. Yeah, that was definitely a crazy experience. You know, I, I started playing as Nikki six years ago, and even after that first season, I've been able to keep bringing her back every year as a hostess. So when she passed away, it hit me that, like, this is a person that I have been connecting with for the last six years of my life, like that's pretty much the entire extent that my marriage lasted and actually longer now because, you know, I've been single for a year. So like she's been a part of my life more than, you know, my kids or my ex-wife has been. And so to me, that just, it really hit home. I always knew I liked her, but until I got that news, like it didn't really affect me how much I connected with her. And I don't think I've ever cried over celebrity passing before. And I was in tears the entire day at work that day. Yeah, I mean, we even, uh, you did a lot of video confessionals. Um, 
Uh, we were we love them all. I watched all of them. I think there's maybe one that I missed. Uh, the only thing I might warn you about is you might not get, and this is really not even for podcast purposes. This is just a general letting you know. Um, you might be disappointed post game with the amount of traffic you get on those videos, only because the, none of them are annotated, and a lot of people who view these games, they don't have the best attention spans with that, especially without annotations. So you might find a lot of people glossing over that stuff, which I wouldn't recommend because it's good stuff, but I'm just kind of prefacing, don't take it personally if that happens to you post-game, because they are all about 20-plus minutes in length, so it does get tough for some people to listen to all that. Not me, personally. I can go on forever, as you know, but um, you know, some people, it is that way, and I don't want you to feel discouraged from doing it in a future game you play if you don't get the kind of response or reception to it that you might be expecting. Yeah, and I, I think I'm prepared for that. You know, I get to see a little bit whenever I log into YouTube about the number of views each video has had. And I think probably within the first one or two I did this season, I was about 20 minutes in and I was like, you know what? I don't know if I would listen to someone ramble for 20 minutes. So I probably shouldn't expect that too many of the viewers will do it either. Well, most importantly, though, and I want to make sure that you did, you had a grand old time with this one, didn't you? This entire experience. I really did. You know, I feel like Euro between, you know, playing in the first season, I feel like I had an epic downfall. Then I came back and hosted like I view Euro kind of as the Nikki Graham show. Like to me, like there is no game that I hold in more honor and prestige or that I would rather win than this game because, you know, I feel like at this point in my life, this is a game that I feel I'm synonymous with and that I want to be related to and synonymous with. Oh, definitely. Nikki is undeniably a legend. Even if, like, her placements don't necessarily hold that out. Placement, as you know, is is not everything. And, I mean, how different, though, is it this time, Nikki, at least out here on the journey, in terms of level of activity players? Because you are an old-school player. You're older school than I am. You've been playing since, what, 2004, 2005, something like that. It might even be earlier than that. Um, you know, obviously... The, the player that the players that come into orgs now are a completely different breed from the players that were coming around when you played in the old days or even in the late Animani days, 2014, 2015. There were people who cared and people who were just doing it for something to do. And it was very easy to kind of just plow through the first several weeks. And I don't think that's the case in orgs anymore. I think so. You know, I think... In my situation this season, I got a little bit lucky that uh, we won so much, and then we had a couple of people less active. So the first few weeks were easy to plow through for me. But I definitely feel like that has changed. And also feel just that, like, I used to play a lot more, con like, a lot more often. So I had a lot of knowledge of players, and I had pre-built relationships. Whereas this is the first time I've played a game in five years. So most of these people, I had no idea who they were. So I really had to put in that effort and, you know, not just rest on my laurels of, I know these people and I know they can carry me. Well, that's what we want, right? I mean, no one, no one wants an all-stars game that's a cakewalk. And I don't think, I don't think Euro Survivor, I don't think anyone would describe this game as cakewalk. No, I don't think so at all. This was definitely, you know, a very hard game, but a very fun game, I think. Well, that's, again, that's the most important thing. And you're definitely, like I said, synonymous with Euro Survivor. And unfortunately, however, you know, you were eliminated, so you were not able to finish your story um, probably the way that you wanted to. I'm sure that when you came into this, finishing 11th place wasn't the way you started. It's not the ending you wanted, but it is the ending you got. 
So let's get into it a little bit. Why do you think you're sitting here talking to me tonight? Well, I think, you know, I think there's a variety of issues, but I think there's two main ones is first off, I think us not knowing about Adam's power to bring someone back because that really screwed me up. And tied into that is Ian's sending Kaser to exile. If, you know, we had talked beforehand, our whole majority alliance about send Myra, get away that number, we could vote out Joaquin. And had Ian just sent Myra to exile, I believe with Kaser there, even with Colin coming back, I still have the numbers to take out Joaquin. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, maybe these people are going to be regretting that. I mean, Joaquin, as you know, uh, the final kind of immunity challenge is ended. He won his fourth individual immunity challenge. I mean, you got to give it to him, right? Four. Yeah, I mean, that's the main reason we really wanted him out is because he is a challenge beast. You know, since his fourth one, even last round, he got second place. And uh, looking at the outcome of this round, not only did he win, but he's going to a split tribal council where no one else from his alliance is with him to be in danger. So the majority is going to have to turn on themselves. Yeah, I mean, we will definitely see what happens. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting dynamic that's happening. But we want to more talk about this more about you, not about them. Uh, I will get into what you think about them later. So obviously, again, you're eliminated. You think you're sitting here. I definitely, I will say this. As a host and you're on the jury, I can't say everything, but I will say there are some things that I'm genuinely wondering about. Let's start about maybe the the carry vote. Um, you obviously didn't see that coming. I think you were very, very relying on carry as a pocket vote, a pocket number. And I feel like maybe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you really didn't factor in not having that number on your side going into these later stages of the game because you definitely unraveled a little bit socially these last couple of rounds without Carrie there. I did, you know. Carrie was someone that in the pregame, she came to me during the, the sign-up phase and she said, Nikki, I'm with you. Like, I'm here to get you to the end. Whatever you want, you say the word, you got it. So I really was relying on Carrie. She was definitely my ace in the pocket. And I felt like that round, you know, Carrie and I went to the minority with what I think was a very good offer. They could have entirely flipped this game around and they, you know, spit in my face and they took out Carrie. And I'm hoping now that will be their downfall because there's a good chance Myra, Sue, and Joaquin could all still be in the game right now with me and have the majority numbers had they just voted out Adam. Say that, Nikki, but I mean, you also, to your in, def, in their defense and, in, and uh, you know, in your offense here, you know, you, you did a confessional about, but right, like minutes before Carrie left, where you basically admitted in this confessional that you don't have any, any true, genuine loyalty to Sue and Myra. So uh, maybe, so I'm wondering, you know, do you, what, what do you think the shortcoming was? Why do you think they turned on Carrie? Do you feel like Carrie wasn't doing the work to keep up with them? Was it a combination of things? Because on the surface, that's a pretty good offer. I, I think that is the case. Is you know, I think Carrie definitely relied on other people to carry a lot of her social game for her and to include her in things. She wasn't always around the most. So she wasn't there building the bonds with people. And they just had to take my word for it of, you know, you've got Carrie. If you have me, you have Carrie. Just trust me but she didn't help her own case to build that trust with people. 
Do you think maybe Nikki? That's a that's a. I don't want to say generation gap because it ages me too. But I but I think it's the right way to put it. Do you think maybe that's a generation gap because there was a time in orgs where that very much is a thing. You have someone who's kind of just a pocket vote. You don't really have to think about them. Again, that time is kind of passed in orgs. Do you think maybe it's kind of a quote unquote generation gap where people aren't really thinking that way and they're focusing more on well. Nikki says this about Carrie, but I don't have this relationship with Carrie, so I have no loyalty to her. She has no loyalty to me. I can't trust this. I think that's, you know, part of the issue that happened. I think part of it, too, is that I was trying to go after Adam, who played in the same season as Sue and Myra. So I think they had a pre-existing relationship with him. And so when you're comparing, you know, the devil you know to the devil you don't know, I think, you know, it just... Had I gone for someone else, perhaps Carrie survives that round, but I think I picked the wrong target there. Who else would you maybe have targeted in, if not Adam? I think so that's a tough question because at that point in time, I guess possibly Ian, um, because my thought was once we took out Adam that you know I would be willing to stick with them uh, to do Ian and or Kaser. Uh, like you said, I did a confessional where the more I thought about it, I'm like, I don't know if I could take Sue and Myra to the end, specifically Sue. Um, I think I could have had better chance of being Myra, but you know, I definitely thought I saw an opportunity to use them to overthrow Kaser and Ian and leave myself what I thought was a pretty good position in the majority. I mean, definitely in theory, it's a good idea, but at the same time, I guess, I guess I'm saying is, can you really get too mad at Sue and Meyer if someone else was maybe offering them something. I mean, I'm not saying they did or didn't because, again, you're on the jury. I can't say everything. People were maybe giving them something more substantive to work with than, oh, I have Carrie as a pocket vote. Can you really blame them for, you know, even if it may be a mistake in the end, in the moment, dumping on that decision? I mean, without knowing what exactly they were told, I, I kind of do blame them because, you know, I was open to working with them to the end. I probably wouldn't have, but I definitely would have stuck with them for a while. Whereas in my mind, at least from what I knew talking to Kaser and my connection with him, as soon as they voted out Carrie, I went to them and I'm like, you guys are so dumb. Like Kaser's not with you. He's coming right back to me. As soon as this vote is done, he did this like to take out someone that's not on his side, but he's not with you in any way. I was with you. Yeah, I mean, and Sue was voted out the very next vote, and Kaser was the deciding vote, so that did come to pass. Um, you'll have a chance to listen to Sue's podcast tomorrow. I'm sure you're going to do that while you're at work, um, because it will be coming up late tonight, and I'm sure you will be listening to that, because I'm sure you're curious, because we got into that in our podcast. Well, I'm sure that just like Tiffany, it's probably a Nikki love fest. I wouldn't... Well, I guess you'll see. Um, we definitely got into a lot of topics with Sue, but... We've talked a lot about the carry vote because I do feel like that was a pivotal point. It was a turning point for the worst in your game, but it wasn't the end of your game. The end of your game was this final 11 rounds. So let's get into that. You kind of already mentioned Perfect Storm, but let's maybe really take a deep dive into it. What went wrong here? Starting with the Resurrector power from the Exile Grid, how much did that throw you for a loop to start with? So, you know, the first thing that happened was Ian sending Kaser to exile action. I ran to Ian and I was like, you are so dumb. Why did you do this? And he's like, we still have the numbers. They only have four. We have, you know, six or we have five. So he's like, we're good. You know, nothing could go wrong. 
And then once the power was played and Colin came back, I actually wasn't that worried because, you know, I had come into this game terrified of Colin. Um, you know, ever since our first season, we have maintained a relationship outside the game. We have very different life views on a lot of topics, and I thought that might be held against me. But we quickly patched it up, and Colin told me that, you know, he really wanted to work with me and that if he couldn't win, he really wanted to, you know, help me win. And so when Colin came back, I was like, this is amazing because this is someone that I know, you know, is going to have my back. And then I went to Colin and I'm like, hey, I'm so happy you're here. You know, you told me you want me to win. You know, here's what I need for success. And Colin's like, hey, we'll see. And that's when I knew that there might be trouble. I mean, to be fair, Nikki, in this case, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I actually, and I'm speaking from experience here, I've actually been resurrected with this power um, in a previous game. That's one of the reasons why this power exists here, is I had it used on me, and I was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to use it in my series. Um, and I was resurrected, and I basically told everybody coming in that I was like, I got resurrected by this person. I'm going to vote how she wants. And whoever my vote lands on, I'm sorry, but you know, this person asked me to help them. So I'm going, I feel an obligation to, I mean, could you blame somebody who was out of the game for two weeks for wanting to stick to the person who brought them back from the dead in the first place? I mean, without knowing their relationship a little bit, you know, I don't know if they had a relationship before their tribe where they got picked apart. Um, in the pregame, when we were allowed to talk to everyone, I did talk to Colin some. We compared notes of who we liked and who we didn't like. You know, she never once mentioned Adam to me as someone that she would, you know, have a relationship with or want to work with. So I knew there might be a bond from their original tribe, but I'm like, we have, you know, seven plus years of friendship. She's not going to pick someone that she's known for maybe two weeks in this game over me. Um, but I was wrong. And, you know, and I think that's part of it. Like you said too, though, is you've had this power played on you and you came back and said, you know, I'm going to do, you know, what this person wants. I think that's where part of my frustration came with Colin because Colin came back and told Adam and everyone else, I'm going to do what Adam wants. But then they sat, you know, he sat there for like 12 hours telling me, I'm open-minded, you know, I'll, I'll get back to you. Like, I, I think I might. And it's like, I know you're full of shit, Colin, because everyone else is telling me you've already promised your vote to Adam. Okay, well, again, I mean, I think Colin was very excited to get an opportunity to come back and play the game. And again, you know, it was kind of on him to gather information. It was a very, very close vote, obviously. It turned out to be a tie, and then uh, they didn't pick rocks. But there is one thing as a host I have to ask, because I... You know, I consider you a pretty logical person, a pretty logical game player, and I myself consider myself one as well. Let's see my own horn. And the one thing that I really could not understand was, and maybe it was just a heated moment thing, your quote-unquote pitch to have people from the minority flip, I feel like was the exact opposite of what you should have said, considering the votes that voted with you, at least in your mind, um, you know, because I, I don't know about you, if I, I was sitting there going, I'm not sure if telling people on the other side, hey, I'm in the majority anyway, if you don't, if you don't flip, 
then you're just going to be picked off earlier. But if you do flip, you'll get a couple of extra days here. I'm not sure that as someone in the minority, I'm sitting there going, well, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't, I might as well go for the nut. I, I guess I'm just gonna, I don't understand what made you think that was a good argument to make to flip votes. Because as far as, like, if I was a player in the game, it would have made, it would have convinced me to the exact opposite of what you wanted. I mean, I think that discussion came up actually a bit before this round, um, especially with Sue and Myra. But my thought is, you know, like I said, you know, I felt like th at that point they had nothing to lose. I had everything to lose. I was in a good spot. I could have sat back, not tried to help them at all. And I feel like I could have been fine. But I was trying to do something to benefit them. And they're like, well, you know, we should take out these people. And I'm like, well, that doesn't benefit me. If I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that has something to lose. You guys have nothing to lose. I have everything to lose. So you need to, you know, make this work for me as well. You need to make this something that benefits both of us, not just no, you no, guys. No, no, Nikki, I'm talking about your argument with the rock draw specifically. When Joaquin basically mentioned, you know, Kaser's coming back, Tim's coming back, Nikki is with them, you know, if Colin's going away, you know, you don't have the upper hand going forward if you vote with them. Whereas you use the complete opposite argument, which is basically, I have the upper hand, you know, you're going to be a marked man if you don't spare me here. I guess I'm sitting there going, if I'm trying to get someone who's already feeling like they're in the minority to flip, that's not the argument I would use. I want to know what the logic and reasoning was behind that rock drop flip argument. That's specifically what I'm talking about. Because I don't know. I feel like you tried to attract bees with vinegar and not honey on that one is what I'm getting at. Okay. Okay. I think I understand what you're saying now. So my thought on that is, so at that point, I kind of marked, you know, Joaquin, Myra, and Colin flipping off as a lost cause. To me, that was really about Adam and J-Hud. And to me, that argument was, you know, I felt like I had a decent relationship with both of them. You know, I tried to vote out Adam. We have talked, you know, a couple times since then. We had buried the hatchet. I thought we could move forward. But I felt like both of those people had good relationships with Kaser and with Ian and stuff. So I thought, you know, listen, you have many, you know, many connections within the majority. Like, you have plenty of wiggle room to make moves don't kind of, you know, put yourself with this minority because if it fails, you go from being in a great spot to get to the end when you don't have to, you know, to like isolate yourself. So that's really my pitch to like Adam and J-Hud of, you know, you have Kaser, you know, you have me, you have Tim, like you have roads to the end within the majority. You don't need to make this move. Okay, well, that makes a whole hell of a lot more sense, Nikki, than how you phrased it, which I'm just going to chalk up to in the moment, because every, Annie and I were talking while everything was going on, and Annie and I both looked at each other and were like, I think that's about the last thing Nikki should have said um, in this situation. And so I definitely was curious as to what the thought process was. But that makes a hell of a lot more sense. I think it was just a case of some very poorly chosen words in the heat of the moment. I guess we'll chalk it up to that. Um, but obviously, again, you know, you're sitting here. But it seems like at least, again, you you had a good time. You seem to be at least at peace with... Uh, the fact that your journey came to an end, 11th out of 35 ain't so bad. No, it's not bad. You know, I uh, I think I went back and forth a couple times this season between, you know, being extremely stressed with the whole, you know, journey and feeling like, you know, there's almost no fun in it. And then moments where I was just like, this is like, I'm I'm with amazing people. I'm having so much fun. Like whether this, you know, ends today or I win, 
you know, just enjoy the journey and appreciate it while it's happening. Yeah, well, you definitely gave it 110% every minute, every day. Although I do feel like at least after about, I don't know, episode five or six, everyone still in the game was giving it their all. And I think that definitely added to the greatness of the game. And uh, one other thing I want to get to is you have a pre-existing relationship with Kenny that most people don't really know about. He sent you his legacy advantage. You then passed it to... Jen, I'll admit I thought you were going to pass it to Tim. What was the reasoning behind sending it to Jen over Tim? Um, the, the two main factors is that I knew through, you know, talking to other people, I knew that Tim was hearing things about myself and about, you know, where powers might lie that he was not telling me. So I knew he wasn't being fully upfront with me. And then also, you know, Jen was the only one when it went to rocks, you know, she was the first one to speak up and say, I will draw a rock for you, Nikki. And then even when JP and Natalie are like, we can't do this. You know, I, I tried telling Jen if she wanted to, she could flip and vote me as well. And she's like, nope, I'm sticking with you. And after I win this, you know, Nikki, you're coming to Canada and we're celebrating together. And so amazingly enough, you know, the person that I was trying to start a pregame alliance to get out of the game as soon as season one ended probably like left you know when i left was my closest friend in that game well you know it's stranger than fiction right you just never know yeah you really don't you know i i definitely never saw us being friends um ian is another one that was on my shortlist i wanted out first chance when i came in this game and you know those are probably the top two people that i left the game absolutely being obsessed with so right now those two are your front runners for your jury vote if they make it there Oh, yes, for sure. Those two, if they make it there, I will not only be voting for them, but I will be pulling hard in the jury house to try to convince other people to vote for them as well. You know, you add yourself to the jury. You're the 12th member of the jury. Has it hit you yet just how big this jury actually is? I mean, truly, I mean, just imagine we're going to have a 20-vote final vote count because, as you know, the pre-jury peanut gallery, they get a ranking, they get a collective one vote uh, between the 13 of them. I don't know if it really has hit me yet. I know when I first got into the jury, I was so excited because it looked like there's a lot of conversation going on. And since I've been there, it's been a bit more quiet. So I'm like, oh, like, this kind of sucks. I wish more people were talking. But hopefully with, you know, it, there being two tribals tonight and another person going home tomorrow night after the mini, hopefully that will get the jury buzzing and, you know, having conversation about what's going to happen. Well, I think that's always the case because, I mean, you really... Especially, you know, you start the jury at final 22. There are some orgs that don't have 22 people. In fact, most orgs don't have 22 people. So your jury size is almost as big as an actual org. When you're so far away from the final tribal council, and we're still, you know, in a, in a game sense, we're still pretty far away from that final three. It's, I'm not going to say it's pointless to talk about things, but I feel like there are so many things that can happen, so many variables. There's really no point really getting into a deep dive about the merits of these people. I mean, to be fair, there's still seven people going to leave before the final three. And there's a lot of time for people to build their resumes, too. Yeah, and when I saw the way that this tribal council was going to work out with the tribe being split in half, you know, and then I, especially when I saw how it was divided and who had immunity, I went into this thinking like, okay, you know, the majority has a pretty easy road here. Not a big deal. But now looking at it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. There's a good chance two of them leave this round, and then it's a whole new ball game if that happens. So we're so getting into that a little bit. So 
What are some, granted, there are still, now, granted, deadline is earlier tomorrow, 6.55 and 7 p.m. due to the mini, um, because nobody wants to be online until 2 in the morning. Um, so we have a little bit earlier deadline tomorrow, so they only have about 20 hours to vote, which I think will, compre a com compressed drive will make it even more chaotic here. What are some early predictions for Tribal Council A and Tribal Council B? Who do you think is headed to the jury house with you tomorrow? So I think probably, uh, I think it's on B. I think it might be Natalie, just because I think Tim and Kaser, and I can't remember who else is with them. But I feel like there's just a bond. Kaser is not in that tribal council. It's not Kaser? It's Tim, Ian, Jen, Joaquin, and Natalie. Oh, so yeah. So I was going to say, I think... Uh, I think Nally then, but I think Jen will stick by Nally. So I, I really think it might come down to, I think it might be Ian because Joaquin has really wanted Ian out and I could see it going 2-2 and Joaquin being the split, you know, the, the kingmaker there. And then the other one, I, I, I think that's one t is tough. You know, I think, uh, you know, I don't know what all powers Kaser has. I know he has some, I know he has an idol. It just comes down to, you know, if they are smart, I think they target JP. And then how willing is Kaser to play powers on JP? And, you know, if he has enough powers, I think he might. If he doesn't, he might just protect himself. I mean, I don't know. If I'm Kaser in that situation, just based on the last couple of rounds, I just idol myself and call it a day. But, you know, who am I to say? And I think if he just has an idol and that's it, go ahead and do that. But if he has two, you know, I might look at uh, the other tribe situation. Say I'm losing a number there. Maybe I need to throw another one on JP just to make sure we get out either Myra or uh, Jennifer Hudson. Right, but he. So you're not saying don't use one yourself. You're saying if he potentially has two, play two. Yeah, if he if he has if he has a plethora of powers, you know, like where he feels comfortable using one of them to protect JT, do the, JP, do that. But definitely make sure you're protected first and foremost. So there's no scenario if you're Kaser, and, and if Kaser has an idol, that you don't see him playing one. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see that. I think he will definitely play one if he has one. I guess we will find out. I, I hope. Are so? Are you excited to watch tomorrow night unfold? I mean, we're gonna thirty percent of the cast is gonna be joining you tomorrow, twenty four hours from right now. I will say I was a lot more excited to see it until I saw, you know, who won immunity and like what the, the tribal council configurations are. I feel like I'm not going to be as happy with the outcomes as I originally had hoped, but uh, I'd still be excited to get some, you know, people I enjoy talking to on the jury with me. Well, you know, there is 24 hours. You have no idea. Plus, again, I mean. You were definitely sticking with the Kaser Ian, you know, majority, at least for a while. Although, I don't know, were, were you ever considering taking them to the finals, or were you going to try to snipe them? I don't think I was ever trying to take them to the finals. I think probably my last 24 hours in the game, Ian is someone I definitely would have thought about taking to the finals. But, you know, I, I really was trying to focus in, you know, once Carrie left, on Jen and Tim, because I felt like that there was a lot of hate towards them. Um, I was constantly having to protect them from people coming up to me, uh, complaining about how annoying Tim is or how Jen just yells at them and is mean to them all day. So I thought both of them would be great to sit next to you or JP just because 
from my perspective, I felt like JP was just kind of there and floating and didn't do anything. So I felt like I could argue against him for why I deserve to win more than him. Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, you're not going to have that opportunity. But I do want to know, um, outside of personal relationships with these people, assuming Ian and Jen aren't there at the final travel for you to vote for, what do you look for in a winner? Especially of, as you said, for you in particular, this series is like the big, the big bad for you in terms of, you know, fixation on it, wanting to be part of it, wanting to represent it, wanting to do well in it. Um, you know, what... What are you looking for in a jury vote here? I'm not even quite sure if I know that yet. Like, obviously, if I'm if I'm voting strategically, I, I want to see someone that, you know, made moves knowingly and with a plan in mind and actually had those plans work out. You know, I don't want to see someone that just kind of fumbled their way there. But I also think about it, like, you asked me at Tribal Council one or two rounds ago, you know, when Nikki passed about, my connection to her. And I said, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, I embody the same traits as Nikki. And I definitely think once Carrie left, you saw my emotional Nikki side come out. And so part of me is like the, the best way I could do Nikki justice is maybe a tribal council, just go with who I like best and call everyone else a bunch of names and tell them what I think of them. I guess uh, we're all looking forward to see what you, uh, what you bring to final tribal council. Um, so now, now that we're getting down closer to the end, let, let's uh, let's play a little game because you know you do love games. Uh, you also like water, as far as I know. That's funny. I have a a gallon jug of water right now. I was just taking a drink of it when you said that. Yeah, I also been drinking uh, water. That's why I went on mute a moment ago. So for each of the ten remaining players, and we'll go in alphabetical order. One word. One word to describe. All 10 remaining All-Stars. Adam. Hmm. Adam is opportunistic. Ian. Genuine. JP. Present. Jen. Attitude. Jennifer. Snake. Joaquin. Condescending. Kaser. Advantages. Myra. Sweet. Natalie. Perfection. And Tim. Sneaky. Okay, and so now I got one, a couple more follow-ups for you, and then we'll, we'll start wrapping up here. So you mentioned, you know, your relationship with Jen took a 180. Now, for some people who don't know, even though you didn't play Benelux, you have been an outspoken critic of the outcome of the Benelux Final Travel Council since it's airing, uh, where you had Tim beating Carrie 5-4-0, to zero, and you even said to yourself, you used to complain to me, I'm sure you remember this, we talked on the phone when I was in law school, and you talk about how Tim graded your every nerve. So set the record straight, 
What is your relationship with Tim going going to be? Are you, are you friends? Do you get along from mutual gain? Is it somewhere in between? Do you actually not stand him? What is it? Well, I think for right now we are friends. Um, if he listens to this podcast, I don't know if that will remain true. But I like Tim. You know, I think in the game, he is very insecure. And, you know, I talked with Dorothy about this because she asked him about it in the season two finale of how much of this is genuine um, kind of doubt in yourself and how much of it is just being played up for strategy. And Tim claimed it's a bit of both. So I do think he aggravates my nerves sometimes, but I also think like, I think he is a really good guy and, you know, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that sometimes he just doesn't realize what a great guy he is. So I want to be there for him and support him and help him to realize that like, he's, he's really cool and he's really good at these games. And, you know, just be there to be a support for him. I mean, I, I mean, wouldn't you say proofs in the pudding? He won his season. There's 10 people left. He's one of them. Oh, I agree. And I think if Tim makes it to the end, you know, like, I think if, you know, him or Joaquin could make it to the end, both of them, just based on the facts they are winner, have a strong case to be made. For me personally, it's just the fact that, you know, like I said in my one-word answer, I find Joaquin kind of condescending, so I don't know if he'd get my vote. And Tim, you know, I find more enjoyable. Yeah, but I mean, if, if Joaquin or Tim were to make the final tribal council, how much merit would you give to them for making it through an All-Stars game with that winner target on their back and to be sitting there at the end again? I think I'd give them a ton of credit, you know. Um, you know, I think more so Joaquin than Tim because... I feel like Tim, for the most part, this game has had a much easier path. And, um, you know, he, he he got the three rounds of safety with the twist, which could hurt him in the end, but also it gets him to the final 10. But Joaquin has been at the minority pretty much since the merge. And if he manages to make his way there, I definitely, you know, would give him tons of respect for somehow weaseling his way there. I mean, to be fair to Tim, the exile tickets are one thing. He won four of those in a row. But solitary confinement, um, you know, Tim didn't ask for it and, in fact, didn't even have control over it. I mean, Ian and him tied for the answer because Ian had better performance in the challenge. I let Ian flip the coin, and it came up tails instead of heads. And so Tim was sentenced to solitary. It's not like he went around and campaigned for solitary unless there was something behind the scenes that I didn't see that maybe you can shed light on. I don't think there was any campaigning. Like, honestly... You know, you had mentioned that the exile would be decided based on one of the questions in that challenge. And so I was really focused on that. I didn't even stop to think about, like, the fact any other questions could have twists attached or the exile, you know, question would have any, not the exile, but the solitary confinement would do anything in the game. So when I got home from work and saw that Tim was gone for three rounds, that was a complete blindside to me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it would take looking back into Ukraine, your own hosting staff, but it was kind of, it was a long time ago. You know, that solitary confinement power came up in the Cutthroat Christmas Challenge, and Heather won it and took two rounds in solitary confinement. So I thought maybe, maybe somebody who had looked back might have noticed that I capitalized the words, and therefore it was a term of art, but nobody caught on. Um, I think everyone was, would it be safe to say, I mean, I'm sure you guys discussed it amongst yourselves, was everyone thrown for a loop when that announcement was made? 
I think so. You know, if, if people did expect it to happen, they weren't letting on the fact that they remembered it from past seasons or looked it up. I totally forgot about that until you just mentioned it now. Now that you talk about Heather, you know, getting sent there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I kind of remember that. But uh, yeah, that was just completely out of my mind and I didn't even think about it. But I do think, you know, I agree with Ian, what he said at that tribal council of, you know, yes, there's some negative aspects to it because that's three rounds of the game that you get to skip and it might be held against you. But like Ian said, I I would take that in a heartbeat because I feel like if you could get to the end with the right people, that three rounds won't even be brought up. And it's just, you know, three rounds of immunity. That would be nice. And, and like I mentioned, too, it's not like he actively sought it out. He kind of fell into it. And I'm not even saying that to defend him and overstep my bounds as a host. I'm stating what is plainly in front of you here. Yeah. And yeah, and to me, if he makes it to the end, that wouldn't be a factor, you know. At the risk of sounding biased to me, someone missing those rounds and whether that impacted my decision to vote for them or not would simply be based on how much I like that person. I think most people would probably take that. I mean, I I would hope that in all those games there's some impartiality, but I don't think, I don't think you can ever eliminate impartiality from a juror's vote. We're not robots. Um, you know, this is not the old school, the uh, ultimate survivor computer game where the jury is a bunch of computer bots. I'm sure you know what game I'm talking about, just to aid ourselves again. Yes, I do, for sure. Yeah, definitely won several of those with Kathy Favreau O'Brien um, <laughs> several times. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not like that. And especially now in this day and age with the way orgs are now, I think a lot, especially now, I mean, the difference between season one and season six has to be in some ways night and day in terms of investment overall by people and the amount of social hustling that has to be done from day to day. I mean, in your season, you were one of the social stars. You're one of the social stars again. But I think this time you had to do a lot more legwork to be one of those than you did last time. I think so. You know, it's been six years since season one, so it's hard to remember all the details. But when I do think back on it, like, I feel like I kind of coasted most of the game up until the merge. Like, I never felt like I was in danger on my initial try because, you know, I was active and I was talking. Then I got to be a captain, so I got to handpick my tribe. So I knew I had people that would work with me. And then once I got to the merge, I was out pretty quickly, so I didn't really get to experience that. You were the merge boot, in fact. Yes, I was. Um, and, you know, once again, it came down to rocks. You know, uh, neither time did rocks actually get drawn, but both times, you know, there was that initial tie that threatened them. Or no, the again, first time there wasn't times, a tie. First time no is, the, is a uh, misvote. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, as a misvote the first season, but uh, it would have been a tie in possible rocks had Colin voted correctly. Had Colin, yeah, voted correctly. I mean, I even. I even without overstepping my bounds as a host, like he texted me in the middle of a booty call and was like, I'm voting for Jen. And I texted him back and was like, um, are you sure about that vote? Because yeah, I didn't say anything else. Like, are you sure about that? And Colin replied with, yes, I'm, I'm sure of that. And I was like, well, I tried to subtly hint that you're about to screw over your entire alliance, but if you didn't take it, and now I can't do anything about it. So thus we had the five, four, one. But I even tried to like overstep without overstepping and being like, 
you're literally about to alter the course of the game because you're on this booty call. Can you not vote that way? And then she did. Yeah, and I feel like if she could find time to message with you, she could have found time to send me one message and just say, what's the name? Yeah, she texted me going, I'm voting Jen. Hey, I can't get to my computer. I'm voting for Jen. And I said, are you sure about that? And she said, yeah, why wouldn't I? I'm like, all right, well, okay. And so I put the vote in for Jen. Although she didn't mean for that to happen, but, um, you know, it is what it is. To be fair. I know, I um, remember. Yeah, I remember being in the jury that season being like, you know, I can't wait till I can talk to Colin and I find out this was a strategic plan to purposely throw their vote to get rid of me because I'm this huge threat. And then he got there and he's like, no, I was just dumb. I was like, oh, well, that's disappointing. And then Colin fell on his sword at Final Four because he was, you were got, you, that jury, you guys were ready to hand him the game on a silver ladder. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I remember if Colin made it to the end, Colin wins in a pretty decent landslide and, uh, I was extremely angry because, you know, he was my closest ally that season and him winning, I felt was kind of redemption, you know, for me and the entire alliance we had. And I'm like, Colin's going to do this for all of us and overcome the odds of, you know, getting picked off, you know, one by one at the start of the merge. And then he just handed it away to the the other side. And I was very upset. Well, it was two and two really, because it was Joaquin, Grant, Cindy and Colin and Colin and Cindy were pretty close the entire way. And speaking of Cindy, may she, you know, sweet old lady, it's just truly a shame that we did not get to enjoy her presence here this time. And I'm sure that you felt that way, too, when you found out she was evacuated. Yeah, that was very disappointing. You know, uh, when she was evacuated, I had mixed feelings. Like, I was definitely sad because, you know, I, I enjoyed Cindy and I thought that's someone I could work with. But uh, my strategic side also said, all right, that's one person from season one down. So that makes the less, you know, the rest of us look a little bit less threatening. So I, I, I was I mean, sad, but I also saw the benefits of it. Although, to be fair, I mean, you guys weren't one of the larger pools of seasons. There were seven of you, there were six Benelux, there were five Ukraine, eight from Deutschland, and nine from Austria Hungary. So it's not like you guys were one of the bigger cohorts. No, I agree. And there's definitely, you know, there was talk early on about taking out. All you know, a bunch of the season five players because they had the most. But uh, I you know I was just trying to think with so many people in the game early on. I just wanted to find as many ways as I could to lessen my threat level. And one less person from our season just you know gave me a little bit more wiggle room. I felt. Yeah, and that's that's I think a good place to to wrap things up for the most part here. So I think this is a question you you'd probably be very excited to answer. So you've now played twice. Um, you know, there's no guarantee you'll get another chance, although, you know, I'm going to continue the series. So, you know, perhaps one day um, we will see. Um, you know, I'm not going to give too much away, especially because we talk a lot and I've, you had a lot of predictions about how this season was going to start and it was pretty much entirely wrong. Um, hopefully I can make that happen again. But anyway, um, what would the legacy of, as you said in your first question, Nikki fucking Graham be in Euro Survivor now that she's played twice and finished 10th and 11th and had a lot of laughs and moments along the way. What is her legacy? I I mean, you know, the, when I did my, uh, my 13 archetypes this season, I, I put myself as um, the narcissist. And so maybe that's just, you know, kind of me coming out. But I like to think Nikki Graham is like 
the face of Euro Survivor. I think if you think of the franchise, even though she never won, I'd like to believe that, you know, Nikki's one of the first people that comes to your mind and you're like, oh, that's like the figurehead. That's, you know, when we do Island of the Idols, that's, you know, whose head we're going to put out there on the beach for everyone to look upon. So, well, you know, fair, I did, we did we did an Idol of the Idol, Island of the Idols last season and Chrissy was there. So uh, that maybe contributed to why you wanted her out right away. I mean, definitely that, you know, the fact that, you know, having not seen a ton of her season, hearing stories about her being this challenge beast. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, the having the name Chrissy Rella instantly painted a target on her of, oh, production favorite. And, you know, season one, you and I had a lot of conversations about, uh, you know, production favorites need to go right away. Well, to be fair, I mean, I all I picked all of you except the winners who got automatic tickets. So, couldn't you say you're all in one way or another production favorites? I mean, I handpicked you all to play here again. I mean, I think in some senses you could say that. In other senses, I would say everyone else could sit the fuck down because I won the production favorite vote. So, queen stays queen. I guess we'll see if that vote is accurate or not. We do have a one thirty-five popularity poll that we do um our merge poll expires tomorrow and we'll have another one for finale we had one for pregame one for the merge and we're going to open another one next weekend when we have our final three and close it the day before finale um which is now 15 days from right now may 2nd going to have a winner which must feel surreal to you because like you said you've been here since season one so this has been six years in the making for you, even though that's not going to be you sitting there. I know there were a lot of times you probably weren't sure we'd ever have an All-Stars. I mean, I, I think I always believed we'd have it eventually. I just didn't know if it'd be in you know, 2021 or 2031. But I always believed it would come around eventually. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it says a lot too, and this comes back to your point. You know, season one was six years ago, and I originally cast eight of you, and seven of you make, took the call. And out of the 40 people I originally cast, 34 of them showed up. Only Kristen from Austria-Hungary was a late replacement. So I think that says a lot about the stock and value people put into this series. How many came back after all these years? I agree. I think, you know, it shows a lot that you had so many people wanting to come back and play. And listening to the few exit interviews I've got to so far with, you know, Tiffany and Chrissy and Bernie, that's one, you know, through line that I've seen in all the interviews and that I personally felt myself is just this sense of, you know, I think you said to one of them, you know, it's not good versus evil. It's not Arcana, but Euro is fun. And I think everyone wants to be here because we all just have a great time playing this game. And Euro survivor, I will die upon this hill because it's a quote unquote old school org has very unique challenges compared to the other orgs of the day. Oh, I, I agree with that very much so. You don't find you don't find a lot of these anymore. And that's one another reason I want to keep it alive. I don't want to lose that old school feeling in the org community. And everyone else, you know, not to knock them, but it's a lot of mazes, daisy chains. And those are fun too. But, you know, it's a lot of the same old. And I try to mix it up every season, especially this season. I've recycled. Every challenge is recycled. There is no new challenge. Even the fruit baskets made a cameo in Deutschland as a different type of challenge, a timing challenge. So 
try to bring back all the favorites for this season. And I think you did a good job of bringing back, you know, aspects from different seasons. And, uh, you know, I have to say that's the one regret I have in this game is that uh, up until about the beginning of Merge, there's one other aspect I forgot about from this game that I'm very mad about. And let's just say Jennifer Hudson is very lucky I totally forgot about that tradition. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, to be fair, I could completely shattered that to bits last season because, you know, she won. So I think that twist is, uh, for those who don't know, um, it's, it's a little bit uncul- it's really not cultured or kosher to say in 2021. But in 2015, uh, I don't know if you know this, by the way, Nikki, but uh, the person who played Alavia from your first season, the one who started this curse, um, actually died of a drug overdose two years ago. Um, she's no longer with us. Uh, but uh, at the now time, I feel horrible. At the time, uh, Jenna and yourself called Olavia black bitch in the first round because she was completely inactive, and it annoyed you guys. And somehow, some way, up until last season, with both Ika and Jennifer breaking the curse, every African American woman rep that ever played went home before the jury before last season. Yeah, and I honestly, like you said, you know, it's not really couth to, you know, do in 2021. So uh, I definitely don't think I would have brought it up in confessional or been outwardly about it. But uh, there definitely was a thought on my mind at Merge. You know, I was talking to Jay Hud and it, I suddenly remembered. I was like, oh, I messed up. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe my bad memory will lead to her winning. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe the, the circle has been completed, even though Ika already won. Maybe my mistake will lead to another black female winner. I mean, it, it wasn't even like meant to be. I mean, it, was, it wasn't that Olavia was an African-American rep. It was that her ass was an activist fuck. That's why the joke yes. started. It just turned into, I want to clarify that both for your sake and mine, that it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with like, the color of Olavia's skin. It had to do with the fact that Olavia was an, an active bump on a log, and it just happened to be that she was an African-American female rep. And so somehow, some way, these other seasons, like the African-American female rep almost always also turned out to be inactive somehow until season four when Danielle R. wasn't inactive. She just kind of sucked socially and that's why she left early. Um, yeah. Know, so it wasn't anything to do with it. It just happened to be like, it's one of those, you know, coincidence, you know, correlation is not causation kind of deals. And so it turned out to become, you know, the black bitch curse, which... Again, not kosher in 2021, but I still think, you know, has its value. I think, I don't think it was ever meant, I mean, it was never meant with a malicious intent. I think it needs to be remembered that it had nothing to actually do with that. It just had to do with circumstances that it happened that way. Yeah, no, I think definitely in season one, Jen and I just kind of wanted to be the, the obnoxious, crude, like, you know, evil sisters. And then, uh, so we, we gave her inappropriate nickname and I don't even think the curse necessarily like came a thing until like season three or so. And I think by season, you know, season two, we mentioned, oh, there's no, you know, African-American refs. And then season three happened again. And that's kind of where it's like, oh, it's a trend. You know, look, well, season and, two, there look, was one, Vivica, and she was voted out free, pre-jury. So. It, well, that's what I mean is like, you know, that's what I mean is like, I don't think, you know, I, I think kind of the, the prophecy kind of fulfilled itself first and then kind of in retrospect, we're like, Oh, yes, look, you know, a curse. Haha, I put a curse on it. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think there's anything really. It, it was obvious. I mean, there are plenty of worse jokes that could be made. Uh, 
you know, unfortunately, just based on the world we're living in right now with 2021 being how it is. Not saying it's a good thing that we haven't we've evolved from that. Not saying it's not no. a good thing that we haven't evolved from that, but just what I'm saying. No. That. So about to wrap up yep. here. So there's a couple other things that we do before we, we end the show. One of them is everyone gets this on the way out. I'm sure you know what's coming now. I ask you, what song should I play when I upload this as your outro music? Because I no longer do dual shows. I picked intro music myself, but the outro goes to the guest. So what song should I use that epitomizes Nikki's run through two seasons? What song should I play when I upload this tomorrow night? So at the at the risk of kind of ruining this happy upbeat thing we've done, uh, I was looking through YouTube last night for songs. And I kept looking up different songs to try to figure out the perfect one. And for some reason, every song I would pull up, or almost every song, on the recommended songs was the band Perry, If I Die Young. So I don't know if that's too morbid, but that was kind of the one I was listening to last night. And I'm like, I feel like this is fitting not only for what happened to the real Nikki, but also kind of what happened to me in this game. Well, whether it's too morbid or not is not for me to judge. Um, You've made your choice, and we're going to go with it. So... Any final words before we, before you vanish into air here on this podcast and head off into the Belgrade night? Um, I just want to say, you know, that I, uh, I think maybe more than anyone in this game, I take great pleasure in uh, tormenting you and all the other hostesses whenever I'm playing. But I do want to give you guys all a shout out that you all are amazing. You do wonderful work, and I'm so appreciative for you guys and everything you do. And, you know, I love you guys, and hopefully you don't take my harassment too serious. I don't. There are some days when I want to jump across the computer screen and ring your neck, but, um, you know, uh, that's, that's just standard host fair. All 35 of you at one point, even production favorites, including yourself, there have been moments where I've wanted to jump across the screen and ring all of your necks, all 35 of you. So you're not special in that, in that, in that regard. Maybe use them more so than others, just because you do love to loophole me, and I will say this. The one thing that makes me, the one thing that makes me truly happy about you being gone is that there will no longer be a hashtag mini walkout attempt on me tomorrow night, and I won't have to deal with that. So that makes me happy. I mean, I, I spoke a lot about it, so we'll see. Maybe, maybe my legacy will live on even if I'm not there. I mean, I'm going to threaten them all with three penalty votes and not being able to have any items played on them. And no voting and no vote for themselves to cast until final five if they walk out. So I think I think I'll be able to submit them to my will tomorrow. I mean that's gonna make for some interesting final ten through final five votes if no person has a single vote allowed to be cast. I'll figure out some way. I mean, Survivor Africa did pass votes. I can just go by pass votes, we'll keep going. I wouldn't be mad about that. That would uh, work out well for Nikki's preferred ending, I think. Maybe I'll go in reverse. Maybe people haven't gotten votes. Anyway, with that <laughs> said, from the front of St. Sabbath's Church, because the real Nikki Graham doesn't drink, we're sitting up in front of the beautiful fountains, which I hope after seeing the logo, Nikki, uh, you want to see those fountains for yourself, because I think they're quite breathtaking. Oh, I would absolutely love to go see them in person. And, uh, get a picture and share it all. So with everyone in this cast, um, you know, maybe that's where our real life reunion that we, you know, didn't have to do for a challenge can be at. 
<laughs> well, you know, it definitely is possible. So I lied and said we were done. I'm about to wrap us up. Um, but I guess one last thing, because sometimes happens on live shows, as you know, you do podcasts yourself. Sometimes things come up last minute. Um, you know, one thing, I hope this is done for you, even if you're not the most education-inclined person in terms of this, is this series, obviously, for Euro Survivor, we have not exactly gone to, like, the typical, like, Westerners' idea of locations for the quote-unquote show. You know, we've gone to Estonia, we've gone to The Hague in the Netherlands, we've gone to Kiev, Ukraine, we've gone to Berlin, Germany. Last season, even though it was considered Austria-Hungary, I'm sure if you noticed during the first challenge, it was filmed in Budapest, technically. And this season, the hub is Belgrade, Serbia, another city I've been to that's beautiful. Um, I hope it's at least made you a smidge curious about these cities that are kind of off the beaten path from your typical, like, Spain, France, Italy, UK. That's one of the goals of this series when I started it, was to get people to want to expand past that in their minds. I definitely think it has, you know, my, uh, my grandma grew up in England and, you know, lived in Europe all around, you know, England, France, other places until she was in her mid twenties when she moved to America. I've always wanted to go visit, you know, Europe and see all these places that she went to school at and grew up at. So if, and when I ever make that trip to Europe, definitely this series will make me want to go check out these other locations, you know, that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. Well, that is music to my ears, because like I said, that's a big part. So from outside St. Silas Church here on a lovely, what would be on a lovely Saturday night here with the fountains splashing us as we do this interview, this is Hostess Katia. If I die young, bury me inside, lay me down on a bed of roses, sink me in the river at dawn, send me away with the words of a love song.
what I never did is done. A penny for my thoughts, oh no, I'll sell them for a dollar. They're worth so much more after I'm a goner, and maybe then you'll hear the words I've been singing. Funny when you're dead, how people start listening. If I Oh